This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 279 of the Skate Podcast. I am Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott are absolute troopers for have been watching the entire Bruins games out in these Western Canadian cities. Hand hand to the sky. I have not had the energy to stay up uh, till one in the morning to watch these, but uh, obviously I'm filled in and I was able to circle back and, and, and watch everything. But Bridget and Scott, how are you guys? How are you enjoying these these 10 30 start times and these early recording sessions tired and not not at all i'm not at all you know me i can stay up till one that's not the issue it's the, then it's to get on top of it getting up and having right. to do something the next morning um but no that that i will say if that edmonton game wasn't as entertaining as it was i may have gone to bed but yeah. It was such a good game. It was one of those where it's like we've we've had podcasts before where we're like, wow, a one nothing game for a 10 o'clock start. Obviously, I was just going to fall asleep. But this one, I was like, no, I need to see the ending. And the ending was just as good as you could have uh, imagined. It was one of the like the best endings uh, in overtime and an entertaining ending as well with Matt, one of McAvoy's best goals. I, maybe his best goal ever. I don't know. Um, I that game kind of had everything. And then the Calgary game. Not quite as late as start. Uh, I was still tired because it was back to back with the the Oilers one that went till one. So, and I've been having to get up early, and you guys know I don't like to do that. So, <laughs> uh, I, I got a nice afternoon nap in Thursday, so I'm I'm good to go, guys. I'm I'm on my second coffee, feeling great. Let's party. <laughs> oh, did you say party? Did you say? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, Brid- Bridget's got her got her party lights for people watching on YouTube. Yeah, no, that that Edmonton game was incredibly entertaining. You know, probably not not really the style of hockey the Bruins want to play. And, and you know, another blown lead. They were up four to one and then five to four. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But Calgary, probably a game that maybe didn't need overtime. It wasn't the most entertaining game, but nonetheless, you got. A fourth straight overtime game for the Bruins. Uh, five of their last six have gone to overtime, and you know they, they end up losing to Calgary. Um, but unless you guys have anything else, we can get right into opening shifts. Um, my opening shift is something. It's been a long time since I think we've had any reason to say, but I've been a little bit disappointed with the goaltending recently, uh, especially these last two games. That. Edmonton game never gets to overtime if it's not for Jeremy Swayman giving up, I'd say, two pretty soft goals in the third period and probably one earlier in the game that he should have had, too. Um, One of them, he just gets beat with a slap shot from the point that leaks out behind him and gets poked over the line. Another, again, another 
point shot that didn't look like he was screened, didn't look like he got deflected or anything, but he just gives up a juicy rebound and Zach Hyman uh, beats out Mason Lori to get to it and put it home. And then the Calgary game, I thought both goals that Lena Selmark gave up were, were a little leaky too. One's, uh, you know, a good shot. I should say both both goals in regulation. The, the overtime winner from Nazem Kadri, it's, it's a three-on-one. It's a good shot. Don't have an issue with that. Uh, but Calgary's first goal, Oliver Shillington, again, didn't look like Allmark was screened. If, if someone has another angle that proves me wrong, I'll, I'll take it back. But looked like he kind of just got beat under the glove, like between the glove and pad on a shot from top of the circle. And then the second one, it's a chance in close. It's not an easy save, but it's still a rebound that that leaks out behind him that he couldn't really control and gets poked over the line. So uh, I think both of them since the All-Star break have, have not been at their best. Um, you know, we know their records aren't aren't very good in that time. But that's really a team thing. But Allmark, 907 save percentage since the break in four games. Swayman, 905 games. And I just think there's been a couple games like this now where they've let in one or two that you just expect them to usually have. And I'm not worried bigger picture and I'm not panicking and saying you have to trade one of them or anything crazy like that. Um, But during a stretch where, you know, the Bruins as a team have maybe needed a little bit of a pick me up, especially with injuries on defense, um, just a little bit disappointing that the goalies haven't really provided it. I, I thought that Swayman – so it was weird to me that Swayman played back-to-back games on the – like he played the last home game and then he played the first road game. It's just – it's not weird in general like around the league, but like usually they they are truly alternating one than the other. Um, and I thought Swayman played well against Dallas, but um, I don't think either of them played well. Well, not well. It's not that they're playing bad. It's just that they're not playing the way that we know that they can, right? Um so we'll get more into that later. Uh, me and Brian, both are both of our opening shifts have to do with defense. Um, I kind of want Brian to go first, though, because this is like this was my first thought. And this is what stood out to me the most about the last two games. So go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So for me, all year, I've been advocating for uh, for Mason Lori to be playing NHL minutes more oftentimes than not. And obviously, Scott mentioned some of the injuries on the back end to Lindholm and and uh, and Grizzly obviously now, but even before then, Laura gets the call up, and and like I said last episode, it was it was a double edged sword because I was on the one hand thrilled that he was back up with the with the Bruins, but I was also kind of a, a little bit annoyed because I was like, why does it take necessarily an injury to, for that to happen? Because you know he's just he's such a I think he's such a difference maker at such a young age, and he's still so um inexperienced at the NHL level that what he's doing is really impressive. Like, yes, there's going to be mistakes here and there, but I think he's such a net positive for this team and he brings something that they, that they need. I mean, people are talking about bringing in potentially another higher end defenseman, like a Noah Hannafin or somebody like that. And I just, I don't, I understand that. And, and we talked earlier this year about how we actually would trade for Noah Hannafin if it meant Laura in a package, but like, I just think right now I, I don't want the Bruins to pay the price it's going to take for them to get a Hannafin when you have somebody like Lori that brings that, albeit at an inexperienced level, but is still growing. Um, and just he, he, he had three assists against the Oilers in his first uh, game called back up, and it was the first Bruins rookie to do that. 
in I think I want to say six years, and it was it was Jake DeBrusque in his rookie year to have three assists in a game as a Bruins rookie. And I just I just think going forward, I, he has to be in the Bruins. Even here's the caveat: even when they're healthy, he has to be. I think a top six defenseman for the Boston Bruins right now. And I know points isn't everything, especially as a defenseman, but um, Laura has nine points in 29 games. If you play that out to an entire season, he's right around Hampus Lindholm's point production right now this year. So Bridget, you can certainly follow up. I just think he's been such a welcomed addition. And I think he helps Again, this is a, this is part of our conversation about do you have internal options to address certain needs? He's one of them. Yes, Noah Hannah, if it's a better NHL player right now than the Mason Lorai. But what I'm saying is when the Bruins are trying to compete for a cup while, let's be honest, they're also trying to protect high-end assets right now. They want to add, but but by not giving away certain picks and, and, and prospects, they don't they can use Mason Lorai. They don't have to go external for to bring in that talent, that 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 specific skill set. And obviously, he's outperforming Matt Grizzlick this year. And that's that's not even a knock on Grizzlick. It's just subjectively true in, in what the Bruins are looking for. So um, I, I just think going forward, he has to stick around even through injury um, or even when this, this blue line is healthy in theory. You can't send him down after those two games. I'll tell you that right now. Um, those were I was very impressed with him, uh, especially against the Oilers. Obviously, he had the numbers, but he played well. Uh, you know, he played well in both games. So uh, he was... On the, he was noticeable on the ice, uh, not just offensively, defensively. He got stuck out there for like a three-minute shift that I was like, oh, Bruins are getting scored on on this shift. They've managed to not, and, and he was part of that. And um, I have a lot more to say about him because I think that his in his time away, he came back noticeably better so far. Um, it's a two-game sample size, but uh, if this is just how he's going to play now, then then you can you don't even have the option to send him back down like you you would get completely criticized if you're management and you sent him back down playing the way that he has the last two games so it's it's been nice to see him back up and it kind of goes to our conversation about how you need to see what you have before the trade deadline and now you're seeing okay we knew we had him but we actually didn't realize he was at this level if this is going to be what he can do consistently or at least like you still notice that step up from the first few because every call up he really has been better one after the other he comes back after going and credit to him you know taking the time in providence and, and learning whatever he's had to learn and to make himself uh nhl ready quicker and so yeah I, I agree with you brian i also have more to say about that but my opening shift has to do with the defense too and another defenseman that has been playing really well uh since the start of the road trip is charlie mcavoy um playing confidently uh that overtime game winning goal was i think it was his best goal of his career i i'd have to go back and like go through the mcavoy highlights but um like, there was one against the sharks last year if you remember in boston he kind of went end to end but besides that i like think the you're finish, right though like the like he's falling like <laughs> i don't know it was it was yeah. kind of crazy uh it was it was a weird play um and it was like this weird tap pass from debrusque and i don't know he he found a way to finish it even though he was like sprawled out falling face first to the ice but anyway uh that's not the only good thing he's done he's been able because grizzly goes down in the first game uh you once again are are mismatching 
McAvoy with different D partners and he plays with Weatherspoon and he, you know, he, he plays with whoever you put next to him, Lori. Um, and I think he's such like a, a steadying presence that it just reminds you, we all know he's good, but it just reminds you he can pretty much lift anyone's, uh, elevate anyone's game next to him and, and not make them um, be in, in uncomfortable situations. But I thought that McAvoy has had, had a good two last two games um, just because those are, these are the two we're talking about. I'm not saying he didn't have them before that, but, um, but it comes at a time where there are two injuries to Bruins defensemen. Grizzly took a slash to the shin and he didn't play uh, against Calgary. Um, and Lindholm didn't make the road trip because he got injured in the last game of the Bruins homestand. So we're at a situation where if you combine all of our takes together, uh, you, you're you dealing with some adversity, uh, attrition, with two injuries to key players, uh, offensive, puck-moving defensemen, that you see Lorai and McAvoy come in and step up in the absence of those two. Yeah, the, that Edmonton game, McAvoy ended up on the ice for four goals against, and I don't really think any of them are his fault. Like, that was very unlucky, but he still, you know, he ends up with multiple points in the game, and uh, that great overtime winner, He's he's got 40 points in 50 games now this season, which... Now, like, he missed some time, suspension. He missed a couple games, banged up. Um, but over – on an 82-game pace, that would be 65 points. And, you know, I know he he's not really going to be in the Norris conversation this year because guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are just putting up crazy points. And then even Noah Dobson, Evan Bouchard, Adam Fox is kind of like the next layer behind them. But he's playing at – that elite level again that um you know that we saw from him when he was finishing top five in norris voting that he never really quite got to last year coming back from the shoulder surgery um and even this year earlier on i you know there was a little inconsistency at times but he's yeah he's been great recently um i want to touch on lori too uh because yeah he's he's played really well you know still there's still a couple hiccups in his own zone. And you still want to see him be stronger in, in battles. Um, you know, I mentioned that I think it was the fifth Edmonton goal where, you know, yeah, Swayman gives up a bad rebound, but Lori also loses the the one-on-one battle to Hyman. But overall, far more positives than the negatives these last two games. The the way he break like when he reminds me at times of like Hampus Lindholm, when he's at his best, breaking out where you see him get that head of steam, shield off a four checker, and all of a sudden, just because of his like powerful strides, it turns into a five on four up ice. And Lori can do that. We've seen a couple times these last couple of games. Clean breakout passes. He, you know, he had a nice stretch pass to Martian that led to the Bruins' first goal against Calgary. You know, it Martian couldn't quite handle it, but Markstrom comes out, misplays it, Coyle finishes. Um, and then I thought Laura was really active in the offensive zone too. And involved, you, you mentioned the three assists against Edmonton. So, yeah, he's he's going to get a longer look in, until at least until Hampus Lindholm 
is back. And if he keeps playing this way, you're, you're absolutely right. Like you're not sending him down. You can't take him out of the lineup. Um, and if he, he's, you know, he was third on the team in ice time against Edmonton second against Calgary. If he can handle top four minutes, that is such a massive plus for this team. Like it, we've talked all year about, you know, you probably don't, especially having an inconsistent year, you probably don't really want Matt Grizzlick in your top four come playoffs. We know Forbert's not a top four guy. Parker Wotherspoon, good story, not a top four guy. Like, Lori actually does have that upside, and it's just been a matter of, is he going to be that this year, or is it going to take, you know, a full summer, get him there next season? He's there these couple games. You know, we'll see if he can keep it up. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, I, I've made the case of, like, you owe it to yourself to see where you can get Grizzly before the deadline, see where you can get Forber. Like, you want to play those guys because you want to give them a chance. You want to see if they can be solutions for you down the stretch. And, you know, it's going to take games and ice time for them to do that. Well, the same thing's true for Lori. Like, you also want to see what you have in Lori before the deadline. And with all due respect to the great work everyone does in Providence, you're not really going to find out when he's down there. So now, now you get this, you know, two weeks, basically, um, leading up to the deadline to see what you have. And if if he looks like he can handle top four minutes, then all of a sudden that's not nearly as pressing of a need. And also it changes if you are willing to trade him in the first place. Like. It's yep. like, well, we might have a new idea of what his ceiling is. Like we might or like, or his value to the team this year, like in the immediate future. So it does, it cha- it changes, obviously even the smallest thing, it feels like changes uh, on a, on a day to day basis, what the needs might be and what, you know, what they might be willing to give up and, and uh, trade and um it, it's just and now it's getting closer. So we're just going to talk about it more and more, but I feel like the upside that Loride showed like hit what his ceiling could actually be this season, not talking about in his career. Cause in his career, who knows, like it could be, he could be an amazing defenseman. Like his ceiling, we, we don't even know it because um, it kind of feels like he's just scratching the surface, but he's also um, made big progress. So um, if he continues to play like this, you're going to have a negative reaction to sending him down or a trade package that involves him for whatever reason. Though, like we said, like cap space wise, it still doesn't seem like there would be a a trade to be made. That's big enough that you would be sending out one of your top prospects who, by the way, is like making a case that he's not really even a prospect anymore. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on this team. I'm not, I'm not, you know, Fabian Lysel anymore. I've dug myself out of that category, essentially. I think it's interesting, too. If if now Potter didn't have the season-ending injury, I feel like we'd be having conversations right now about, like, okay, Mason, Laura, and Matt Potter, like, which one of them has had a better, a better rookie year? But, like, we, we can't really assess it at this point, and we can't really compare mm. the two because um, they've each had their, their separate weird journey this season, um, and Potter's is unfortunately over. Um, so I think that positive sign for the Bruins in a year that they really didn't have the ability to add big pieces. They had two young guys come up. I mean, Beecher at times, and now we're, we're seeing other, other players that they got for, you know, bargains, I guess you could say 
fill in roster spots and it not really set the Bruins back the way that some people thought it might. It's, it's the year of the late bloomer. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Lori straight up just has uh, elusiveness, skating ability um, that you just can't teach. Uh, you, you just can't teach it. Uh, he has an ability to move the puck. His, like I said, his skating, uh, his, his playmaking, it's, the ceiling is really high. Um, I would argue that right now, today, he's he's a better skater because of his size, puck mover, and offensive player than Matt Grizzlick is. And again, that's that's not to take away from Grizzlick. I just think I think that's true uh, as we speak right now. And Scott, you mentioned what did you say? Um, there was a play against Edmonton where where Laura got out muscled in front, and, and that's true. Um, and this is not to absolve him from that, from that he needs to improve with that, but, but that can't be the, and this isn't what you're saying, but that can't be the threshold of what makes him be in an, a Boston Bruin, because I see that happen to Matt Grizzick all the time. And and people say Grizzick is a starter when, when they're healthy, they say, people will say he's a top defenseman or a top rate defenseman at his, at his best. Um, I see it happen to all the Bruins defensemen. So I think that kind of brings me back to this question. And and before I say this, like, it was also very encouraging to see Mason Lorai keeping up with staying, staying on top of Connor McDavid in, in, the, in the, the few times that they were in one-on-one coverage or he was his assigned to him for a minute. Like that's, that's a long way from playing against the Hartford Wolfpack. Like that, that's real, that that's really impressive. It's and so as far as you could get, <laughs> it's, it's as far as you can get. And so uh, Scott, I'll ask you this earlier this year, Bridget and I were at this place before you were, and, and I'm not, here to say one of us was right or one of us was wrong but our stance was that even earlier this year we thought that there wasn't that that Lori was such a good talent I think that he should we think we thought he may have been better off um developing at the NHL level on the fly because there was only so much that the A could do for him already you think you thought at the time he needed more time in Providence it wasn't or it wasn't it wasn't detrimental to have more time in Providence it doesn't hurt anything but now at this at this stage in 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 February approaching March, do you feel like he's getting closer to slash? Is he already at the point where he's too good to be developing in the AHL at this point? It's it's NHL development now on the fly. Um, it, if he keeps playing like this, I definitely want to keep him in the NHL. I wouldn't go so far as to say like there's nothing else he can learn in the AHL. I mean, let's let's remember, not only is this his first NHL season, it's his first full professional season period so i i especially for a defenseman there's always more you can learn um in your first year as a pro so whether that's at the nhl or ahl i still like i i think if he if he ended up back in the ahl which again i'm not saying that can or should happen uh i still think there is more he would learn there i still think it would be beneficial um but you know i i kind of break this down into this is like his third, we think, you know, longer stretch up this year. So obviously he started the season in the HL. There's been two other stretches where he got sent back down. And I thought the first time he got sent back down, which was like right after Thanksgiving, I thought it was the right move because I, I thought his defensive struggles, that first stint up in Boston to me outweighed the, the offensive flashes and I thought there was real work to do. And, and I still believe that. And I think he went down and did that work. And then I thought 
the second time he was up, which, you know, went through, I think it was mid-January when he got sent back down. He was playing well at that point when he got sent back down. And it that to me was more of just a numbers game, unfortunately, where it yeah, was, you, you know. You can't send certain people down without waving them, but you could send him. So it was. Right. Know, it was like Forbert was coming back from injury and it was either. It was either Lori or Wotherspoon had to go down. Remember, Wotherspoon was playing well. I think, for the most part, continues to play well. Um, and Wotherspoon, you would have run into a waiver issue. If not then, then certainly the next time he got called up. So that made sense just because sometimes the numbers just aren't on your side. You're the guy who can get sent down without waiver worries. So, you know, tough break. Um, he didn't, he didn't deserve it, but I didn't think anyone deserved it at that point. So yeah. And by all accounts, he went back down to Providence and played really well. I think he was, he was like a plus a plus nine and 11 games or something. And it was almost a point per game down there. Did miss some time with that injury where he got, got his thigh cut by a skate. He said he had to get 20 stitches. Um, so yeah, so he, he looks good. He looks like, I think every time he's come up, he's looked better than the last time he was up. So if that continues, then no, he, he should not be going. I know it's going to, it's going to create a numbers issue again, but you're in the stretch run now. So you have to ice your best lineup. Like this isn't mid season. You can play the game. You can give guys time, whatever. Like you're by the time Limitone comes back, you're going to be what five weeks out from the playoffs. Like it's time to play your best lineup. And right now, Laura looks like someone who would be in that lineup. Yeah. And, and like him going down to Providence, you can tell he, he improved since the last time we saw him, even though he wasn't playing bad. Like, like you mentioned, Scott, he's playing even better now um, in the small sample size, albeit just two games. But um, if, if he went, you know, would he have been at that point if he was in Boston Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It, it definitely did not hurt his game. In fact, he came back improved. So, um, but that that's still uh, Brian's question. Still, is would that help him now? And and I think we all know the answer um, is it doesn't help. If it doesn't help the team, it's probably not helping him either. So, um, you know, they they both probably need uh, the same thing, which would be to keep him up, especially with those injuries. And it does create another numbers problem if you think about it, because. First of all, they're not going to want to wave Wotherspoon, so I don't think that's happening because he's going to get picked up if they wave him. Um, at the at this point, after he's been up for a while, kind of started establishing himself as you know somebody that could be useful for he. It's not like teams aren't missing players like like there are teams that could be better missing a guy like Wotherspoon. Um, what he's been for the Bruins this year, so I don't think he's getting waved and sent back down. Um, it, I mean, maybe it comes in the form of a trade, trading one defenseman out, getting a forward back in, or so. I, it's it's remains to be seen what what they do in trades. But um, something that are we done talking about, Laura? Okay, so something that Scott like threw off the cuff a few minutes ago was uh, it's the the year of the late bloomers, and what he meant is the Wotherspoons and and the, the other guys that have been called up recently. So Richard, Brazo, Wotherspoon, um, those I mean, guys. Even even Lori, like in terms of his development, you know, it's not like he's not nineteen like Padre. He's twenty three. Like he 
he was a late bloomer developmentally. Some people, Scott, want to go to college and get a degree. He was a 20, he was 20, 21 year old freshman in college. Oh, like, okay. That's my bad. I didn't realize he was uh, that, that, that age. That's how old I was when I graduated. But um, occasionally I'll broadcast a game. Like I broadcast a game a few years ago when I was. 26 i want to say and there was a guy that was my age playing for providence and i was like that's that's interesting i've been out of school for several years school for five years what are you doing here bro we're supposed to be out by now but uh no (laughs) you're right in terms of age but in terms of like time listen if you can do the seven-year college plan like might as well best time of your life I I did a three-year college plan because I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. I, not to diss my college, but like I... I was going to say, that, I, that that's just a product of going to UMass instead of being... No, uh, I, I didn't. It's not that I didn't like UMass. I just was over it. Like I... Okay. Going to ADM classes. Does that sound like something you think I'd want to do? I remember being a... Yeah. Uh, I remember In being the a... middle of freezing cold Amherst. It was like, I remember walking to class in like two degree weather. I was like, nah, I'm out. What did I do? I moved to North Carolina. <laughs> I remember being a, a, a freshman uh, in college at Merrimack and walking around campus. And I walked into my first economics class. And I, I, I thought it was my professor because he looked like he was like 45 with a beard. And he's like, oh, no, I'm on the hockey team. I'm fresh. I'm a freshman, too. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, I'm a 93. I'm a 93. When were you born? He's like, oh, 84. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just you're, I'm, you're, I'm, you're exaggerating. I'm exaggerating, but in all, in all seriousness, to your point, when I was a senior, uh, the incoming freshmen were were my birth year, though. Uh, as this, a, there as are senior. like if you go to this is you know we're totally off topic now, but like if you go to college hockey news, they have like the average ages of college rosters, and there are teams where like the average age is 22, 23, and you're like, wait a second, don't hold on, wait, most kids graduate college at 22. Right. And that, that's the average age of the hockey team. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But we, we digress. Um, so Bridget, to this point that you, that you bring up, I've been, I've loved the, the, the small food court sample size of, of Brazo that we've gotten so far. It's, it's not just that he has size, but he can play too. I mean, he, he, he was a point producer in Providence. Uh, you can tell he can, he can handle the puck. He's he's smart on where he goes on the ice. Is his foot speed uh, not not the the fastest in the NHL? No, but that's okay. There's plenty of players that play his role that big bodies that aren't the fastest players. But you know he's got long strides and he, he gets to where he has to get to. And I just I just found it to be so refreshing to see a Bruins forward on the ice that was like, I mean Darnell Nurse for Darnell Nurse is a he's a really uh, big physical defenseman for, for Edmonton and Brazo is just like towering over him in front of the net. And it's, it was just a very welcoming sight. It's like, I, I'm, I'm watching Brazo and I'm picturing him in a playoff series. And I'm just, I just, I, I like the, he has a lot to prove before we get there. I'm just saying in theory, I just like the idea of having that guy in your team that has that size, but can play. And, and there was a play against Edmonton again, where there was like a scuffle behind the goal line and you just, you know, it, it was basically 10 guys just standing around, a couple, couple, you know, face washes. But, you know, Brazo grabs his guy, and you just realize how in in that close-up camera angle of a scrum, you just realize how much bigger he is than everybody else. And, again, he can play. It's not like he's just somebody who can't play. So, yeah, I think I think that's um, 
again, all, this process of just seeing what you have before the deadline. And um, I, I, yeah, I've, I've liked his addition so far. He was the right yeah. call up at the right time. At the very least, it was like, okay, this is this is what we need. We have this guy. We think he can fit. And so far, so good. He had a great first game in that Dallas game. Um, scored, almost scored twice. Uh, brings exactly what they're missing. If you can do it consistently with, you know, going to the net and being a pass down in front, like low slot in the crease, taking away the goalie's eyes, picking up rebounds. Um, and, and, you know, doing all those other things that a, a big bodied fourth liner can do um, like him and, and bring some energy. He seems like the right fit for that line. And we were talking about this a little bit before we got on. Like, is he the actual solution for the whole season? We don't know. But he I mean, there's optimist like there's reason to be optimistic that he can bring he can stick um and do and do some things that other guys uh haven't done for the Bruins yet this year and that includes you know Lauco uh Steen who already got sent down cleared waivers um but I do want to mention this before we continue the conversation about Brazo because I have more to say but he didn't play uh against Calgary um because technically like he was sent back to Providence but only on paper he's still with the team um because they had so many different transactions and, and it was a, it was a numbers issue, but Scott, if you want to touch on that a little bit more before I say what I want to say about that fourth line. Yeah. So the Bruins had game time decisions um, Thursday in Calgary, not, you know, Matt Grizzly was considered day to day wound up not playing. I believe Shattenkirk is also in kind of a day to day situation. Um, I know, I think Billy Jaffe and Nesson kind of, Hinted at something there. Um, so they actually, they had eight defensemen on the ice for warmups and Lindholm still wasn't on injured reserve yet. So in order to have nine defensemen on the active roster with Ian Mitchell getting called up, um, Brezzo had to get sent down, as you said, Bridget, and more of a paper move than anything. He did was not flown back to Providence. He's, he's still That'd be busy. real far. Yeah. Just, to, just to call him back up again for Saturday. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Send him to send him to JF. I know what's it called. What's the what's the Providence Airport called? TF Green. TF Green. Hmm. Send him to TF Green right back um all the way to Western Canada, but um but yeah. Yeah, so I I would I would expect him to be back Saturday. I would assume they'll have a little more clarity on the blue line whether, you know, I, I think they already technically put Hambus Lindholm on injured reserve, which isn't uh is not a surprise because he's supposed to miss at least 7 days anyways. Um, again, we'll note regular injured reserve, different than long-term injured reserve right now, Lindholm's on regular injured reserve. Um, so they'll either know like, okay, one of Grizzly or Shattenkirk's good to go, or, you know, you could send Ian Mitchell down or whatever, but I think they'll, they'll have Brazo back on, on Saturday. Um, he, he had, Brian, you're talking about net front battles. He, he also had a couple against Vinny D'Arnais in that Edmonton game, Providence College product, who's six foot seven. And it's like, but it's like, good luck to the goalie trying to see over those two battling. Like, I, I think they actually, the Bruins actually got a pretty good chance out of it, too. Um, I think it, it was a shot that ended up hitting Skinner, but I don't think he ever saw it. Yeah. And, and so my point to Brazo, I hope we see him again against Vancouver, which is um, the Saturday game. Uh, 
and or at least on the road trip again at, at some point uh but preferably as much as possible right um because i wanted to bring this lineup to you that was put together uh in the oilers game which was a fourth line of frederick bocus and brazo and watching it something in my mind clicked and it was like this could be a really freaking good fourth line and we've talked about how frederick could play be in your top six but that line like if you have a, somebody who's a middle six guy or even a top six guy like on your fourth line <laughs> your your depth is you're you're looking that that's a sign like okay we have the right kind of depth to make a playoff run and I thought that that line had a lot going for it in the the game against the Oilers. Um, Brazo's size, net front presence, Frederick's forecheck, energy, um, playmaking, defense. Boquist has been playing better too. And the dynamic of that line was kind of this like overwhelm you with some size and, uh, and some speed. And they brought energy in that game. And, and I liked how it looked. And I was just thinking to myself, if, for whatever reason, somehow come playoff times, you are able to put together a, a fourth line that includes guys that would be like, should be higher in the lineup, but aren't, they're not on the fourth line because they're playing bad. They're actually playing well. They're just bringing up the whole team's depth um, and, and making it more evenly spread out. Like you're able to score on with a fourth line that has Trent Frederick on it. Yeah. And you want to call them a fourth line or, a third line it's because because in that situation who's the third line geeky van reamsdyke and uh who else was that Richard, was i think richard right so it's like i'm not gonna sit there and call that a uh a superior line than the the quote-unquote fourth line that you mentioned bridget but i think it just illustrates like call call whatever line what you want like roll out four lines that are a great combination or the best combinations and label it the way you want and just you know disperse the the, the, the great news about those lines is you don't have to hide a fourth line in that situation, right? A lot of teams hide fourth lines and give them limited minutes, limited matchups. In that situation, you roll four lines and you, and, 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 and you don't match up the Frederick fourth, the Frederick line against the other team's fourth line. You can, you can, you can match them up against another team's third line or a second. doesn't matter. Like just look at it, like having just four different trios of lines, obviously, you know, the Pashnak and the Martian lines, those are your top two lines if they're on separate lines, obviously. But you know the point I'm trying to illustrate here. And, yeah, I think, like, you're right. That line has size. It has protection. It has finish. It has some grit. It has some finesse and some speed with Boquist. And I don't mean finesse as in Boquist is out there scoring a bunch of points. I'm just saying he has more, you know, uh, puck handling ability, I think, than, like, maybe a Johnny Beecher at this stage. Um, but that said, like, I, I, I'd also like to see, I'd also like to see what maybe Johnny Beecher looks like that if he's the center of Frederick and, and, and Brazo, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of size on, on, on an NHL line. Maybe that's something worth looking at. Um, has Richard or Loco, have they, have they, or Boquist for that matter, have they penciled themselves in as everyday players? Not necessarily. Um, you know, I think where I currently stand is I'm. I'm starting to get more satisfied with the Bruins uh, integrating of players down in Providence we think could help them. And I think they got to figure out what they want to do with Beecher. I think ultimately in the playoffs, you'd have to try to, you know, 
what do you is he is he on the, the the roster as an extra forward come playoffs or is he in Providence? Like I don't know. They have to figure him out. But aside, so they got to figure out Beecher, and I still kind of want to see them give Lysel a couple of games still. But besides that, I think they're they're starting to now see what they have for different combinations, and that's that's all you can really do, especially as the deadline approaches. Yeah, I was gonna say the the that line Frederick Bovist, um Brezzo, they were good against Edmonton. The problem is it's the same one that they've had when Montgomery moves Heinen down to the fourth line. It, it just creates a hole elsewhere. And, you know, we saw them try Anthony Richard with whether it's Geeky and Van Riemsdyk or Geeky and Heinen. And then you saw Jacob Lauko get a little time on the quote-unquote third line uh, in the Calgary game. And those guys just, just don't belong there. Like, the, either one of them might be fine on, on a fourth line. And you know, well, and I, th- I thought then you could do the Brian Lysel call up. <laughs> Go sure, I'm all, I'm all for giving that a shot. Um, my my one concern there is, I I kind of think Geeky might need Frederick on his line because I'm starting I'm starting to see cracks in Geeky's defense um, as a center. I think that that line with him and Richard got torched in transition twice in the Calgary game on, on both of Calgary's goals and regulation. Uh, Geeky's missed a couple of assignments in the defensive zone over the last week or so. So I, I feel like having Frederick on that line with him helps clean up a lot of the defense because Frederick is good defensively. So I, as, as tempting as that, you know, fourth line or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know, as tempting as that combination is, I sort of think Frederick might need to be with Geeky in the end. Yeah. And what I'm saying is if you can find a way to not have a hole, like say, say you add someone at the trade deadline, say you, you plug in someone that, you know, works on, on the third line. If you have the depth to be, to have the luxury to be able to put someone like Trent Frederick on the fourth line, that means here it's just a sign you're set up for a deeper run, uh, more playoff success. Um, when you have a fourth line that can include those guys. So whether you need to plug a hole with an addition at the deadline or or try out Lysel, like Brian mentioned, which we we obviously that's that's a huge like question mark. We have no idea how he's gonna play if he gets called up, right? right. This is more of an experimental, not like a oh, this right. is definitely a great like idea. It's like, no, we just want to see what the idea looks like. We wanna know what like what it could what its potential could be. Bridget, block, please do me a favor, block Xerxes' ears. It very much could be a curiosity kills the cat type situation, okay? But I just want to see. That's that's definitely not like even a true statement. My cats are very curious. I have no idea how Xerxes is still alive. Like somehow, like, I don't know. He must have more than nine lives. That cat, yeah. that cat once bit my shins when I was deadlifting a barbell that had, that was, and he bit my shin and I dropped the weight and we I almost killed him. But it, was like, it was his fault. See, that's, that's the type of agitation that you want in a playoff series. That's why I, I it's, I've said it before. I think he would be a good fourth liner for this team. He, I really he, do. He, he does. He could, he could play. He could play for the lines. Dan Campbell bites some kneecaps. <laughs> yeah. Topper. Uh-huh. No. Um, <laughs> like when Bergeron got bit, but that didn't work out. Right. Super well for Vancouver, but Burroughs, uh, maybe he's, you know, he's in, comes from the same vein. But mm. anyway, yes, curiosity 
that's all it is. It's it's yeah. not a it's not it's not this is not me or anybody, but I'll speak for myself. This is not me saying that like bring up Fabian Lysel, he's the answer. It's literally like I we just let, let's just see what you have in the player. I mean, he's you drafted him, he's been developing down in Providence for a couple of years now, and I, I want to say he's 21 if already, or he's vastly approaching that age. So just let's just let's just see if he can if he can fill fill a void for this team right now. Let's just see. And and if he's not ready, he's not ready. But let's let's just find out. And again, part of the part of my motive here is because the trade deadline is weeks away. So it's it's why go out and the Bruins the the, the elephant in the room here is the we all know the Bruins don't have they don't have a they don't have any cap space and they don't have any draft collateral to give away and even if they did do we want them trading away first round picks even if they had them right now um and and you know your highest prospects are Lysel and Lori so it's like Andrew Raycroft on our show will, will tell you that he would if he had more first round picks like he was basically like never even use your first round pick to, to draft someone just use it to trade right. like his whole philosophy is if you're good you're getting a late first round pick in the 20s and you're you're much better off just trading it and, and getting someone that you actually want. Where was where was David Pasternak drafted? Yeah, true. That was. I mean, it depends how how high you're going to be drafting. I'm just his, his points valid. It's just not. It's you. Eventually, you got to draft the Bruin. The he's saying that because the Bruins drafted McAvoy 14th and they drafted Pasternak. Like they have those guys, but at at one point. And they drafted those guys while they were good. The Bruins have been competitive for the last, you know, 15 years. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, at the end of the day, I guess what I was trying to say is, like, they just, they don't have the cap space and they don't have the assets. They don't have the greatest assets to be active at the deadline. So, let's just, it's, it's, it's imperative that they see if they even need to address certain things externally. If let's find out if you do, if you do, okay, let's find out, let's find a way to get, to bring somebody in if you need to, but let's just see if you even need to, do you need to bring in a Noah Hannafin? If you think Mason Lori can, can, can fill in uh, internally and, and bring, provide what, what, what Hannafin provides in, 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 in part. Right. And um, with a, a guy that you have, you have team control over for a long time you, versus Hannafin having right. only a few months left on his contract. Do you, do you have to do you have to spend draft collateral on bringing in a middle six forward if if Fabian Lysel gets a chance and he pops? Do you have to spend draft collateral even if it's like a second or third third round pick for Patrick Maroon if if Brazo is is the guy with size that can play? Like these are things that just if you have to spend externally, that's fine, but make sure you have to is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Like it's you definitely need to know what you have internally. Um, I, I still think, you know, push comes to shove, get him to the deadline. Like Bruins are going to need something. I, it, I guess I'll put it this way. I don't view them as like a true legitimate Stanley cup contender without some sort of addition, but in fairness, like I wouldn't have thought the Florida Panthers were a legitimate cup contender at this time last year or even down the stretch and they end up in the cup finals. So, um, you know, it, it, if it's a, if it's a year where you ride it out with what you have and hope it's good enough and see what that gives you to build on going forward, like 
I think that's what we all kind of thought this year was going to be from the start. If it ends up that way, I'm not going to be like massively disappointed that, oh, they didn't trade a first round pick for an upgrade at the deadline. But when you end up near the top of the league in the standings, naturally those expectations shift and fans justifiably start to view you as, as a cup contender and start to talk about what you need to do to win a Stanley cup and not just, you know, build towards the future and give some young guys a chance and, and go with that. So I think, you know, if, if they don't do anything, like there's going to be, there's going to be disappointment. And I think it would be understandable. I mean, if they, if they called up Lysel and he was, and he popped as a middle six forward, let's just say hypothetically best case scenario. And you, ha- and, and Brazo is a guy with size you wanted. And Lori is, you know, playing like a top four defenseman, even if all those best case scenarios happen, what they, what I don't think they have internally right now, which they would have to get regardless one deadline need. I think they definitely need to do regardless is um, a, a third pair defenseman that, you know, could be a, a team's second pair potentially, but like that had that, that that's like a Jacob Middleton. We've talked about him and I, and I, I every podcast we bring up his name and, you know, but somebody like that where uh, they make you pay the price in front of your net um, to, to 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 get open. They're tough on the, in the corners. They're just tough to play against. Hard nose. That Parker Wotherspoon is great. I, I I for what he's been, I, I like him. I still think that guy. They need to get externally. Regardless, they have to get somebody on on their blue line. I think in a third D pair role, that's just miserable to play against. Um, that, that, I think that has to happen regardless. I'm not saying that they don't need that, but I'm, what I will say is that they already, that would push like three guys. Like it would just, there's just so many bottom D pair guys right now that they have like, okay. Right. Shat, what Some, happens to any of Shattenkirk, Forbert, yeah. uh, Wotherspoon, like what had that, what happens to Laura? Does that push him back to Providence? Like, just in terms of the numbers game, you might want to add someone like that, but it might be at the detriment of, of having to send Laura back down rather than yeah, anything happening to the other guys. So that's some, the, that's the problem. Yeah. Someone, someone would have to go like you're, yeah. you're trading away Grizzly or four right. or whether it's, whether it's an actual trade or just a salary dump. Yeah. Um, or yeah, it might have to be Wotherspoon going, you know, getting waves like it. Yeah, you, at some point, like you can't just keep adding bodies on the blue line right, as a right. roster limit. Um, I, I, along these lines, since we're here, uh, I did publish on Thursday um, on wei.com ten defensemen the the Bruins could target, and I broke it down into top pairing, second pairing, and then third pairing slash depth. So we're not, you know, we're not going to run through all ten of them, but people can check that out if if they want, but kind of along those lines, you know, another guy like that Nick sealer in Philadelphia, someone I really like um, pending free agent along year of the late bloomer. Another one, he's 30 years old having his best season, um, but real like tough as nails guy and only makes 775,000. So they, that's actually a really easy salary to fit. Um, the fly, the flyers are in a weird spot where they're, they are a playoff team right now. They're third in the Metropolitan, but all the reports are they're still more focused on the future than the present. 
They also have a log jam on defense. They have, I think they have eight defensemen on their roster right now. They traded for Jamie Drysdale, obviously the, the big Carter Gauthier trade. So they have a couple of pending free agents on the blue line. And it sounds like they, they're open to moving one of them. Um, so if, you know, whether it's Nick Sealer or Sean Walker, Walker, I really, he's a different kind of defenseman, but I really like him too. He's a right shot. So, you know, a little different, uh, little different game or type of player, but mm. that's, a, that's another place to look. If they, if they identify the right guy and they bring him in, obviously, you know, I, I say, I, I mentioned bringing in somebody on that third D period under the, the, the assumption that, that, that they can fit. Right. And, and that does mean moving somebody out. So if they can identify the right guy and that means getting rid of, um, you know, Grizzlick or sending Watherspoon down or getting rid of Shattenkirk or, you know, maybe even forward, any one of those guys, if any of those guys have to have to go to, to bring in the right fit, uh, the right player, I'm fine with. Uh, I'm not fine with um, the casualty being Lori, but besides that, um, you, you, they'll have to figure it out. But I'm just saying that that's where they need an upgrade. That's a, uh, they need an upgrade on a third on a third D pair. That, that's that's the best way I'll describe it. I see that uh, Chikrin made the list for you again, Scott. <laughs> like chicken yeah, every single trade deadline it's like chicken trade rumors are back baby they're back <laughs> see see i don't yeah i mean uh he's an example of, i don't think i don't think I, I, he makes them does he make them better sure i mean I, but like yeah i i would i'm out on him i'm out on on hannafin i, I just think the, the the cost to acquire those guys i don't think the bruins should be willing to part with what it would take, especially when you have somebody like Laura that can, that can, that can fill those roles. I mean, yeah, there's some good names in that, in that article, Scott, though, that, um, that you bring up, uh, Matt, Matt Dumba has kind of fallen off a little bit. I like Brian Dumoulin, um, as, as, as a third pair D guy. I mean, Chris Tanev, I think is going to, somebody's going to really overpay for him. I think, uh, I think he's going to cost a first rounder and Scott, you mentioned in the article, he's a, he's a second D pair guy. Um, he's also yeah. like from, Every team would like to have a Chris Tanev. He's he's a legitimate shutdown defenseman. But also, if you're the Bruins, like there's some duplication with Brendan Carlo in terms of sure. skill set there. So it's I just think when when you have such limited assets to start with, like you're you're probably trying to spend it on something that's different than what you already have. And that's also where like when we had this conversation about you know bringing in a third pair in defenseman depth, like someone who's good in front of their net. It's like, well, you better make sure they're an upgrade over Derek Forber, which is why like in this article, I didn't include Joel Edmondson from Washington because I look at that and it's like, yeah, okay. You can say cup experience, couple deep playoff runs. I'm not convinced Joel Edmondson would be an upgrade over Derek Forber. So like, why am I trading assets for him? Now, Scott, to bring it back to your opening shift and believe me, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole of, trade goaltender because i know it's a tiring uh topic for people but i will say um many many people in, in boston and, and new england that, that cover and follow the bruins as fans or or media whatever because the bruins don't have a ton of cap space because they don't have a ton of draft collateral and, and prospects that they're willing to part with um or even have for that matter again it's like if there's a hockey trade to be out there it's it's got to come from a position of strength which is maybe goaltending or you know whatever some left side D or, you know, if, if, if somebody wanted to entertain tr trading to brusque, I think all of us here on the same page, I think like, you know, Bridget, you've, you've, you've mentioned like his, you know what his ceiling is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a point producer and a score. And 
Like if he's on his game, you need that. And so do against um, Edmonton. Exactly. Like that was a great game by him. And we know he can do that. So now you bring up Edmonton and Edmonton is a team that they're a goaltender away. Now, if, if there's a world where you trade Linus Allmark to Edmonton, that the Oilers go on a Stanley Cup run and win and potentially beat the Bruins. That's possible. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I guess what I'm trying to get at, Scott, is your, your opening shift was that the goaltending has been struggling a bit uh, post-All-Star break. Um, where's your thought process on um, how the Bruins should address their goaltending going forward? Is it just stick to the plan that was, that's been the plan for the last two years? It, are you losing a little bit of confidence in this goaltending tandem thing? Like, where's your mind at? And obviously, I think you guys, I'm a little bit more open-minded to it than than you guys probably, though I'm, I think we're all in the same camp. Like, nobody's trading a goaltender. But what's your thought right now? I mean, I've, I think I've always been open-minded to it. But my thing is, you better be getting an absolute haul. Like, I, I have zero, my, I've always been on it. Like, I have zero interest in trading a goalie just for the sake of freeing up money or, you know, what, it, whatever, like turning around, getting a second liner. That's I'll keep my two elite goalies in that case. And again, I know my opening shift was they're both struggling right now. Ultimately, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're still two of the best goalies in the NHL. Um, yeah. If, if someone wants to give me a crazy return and I, whatever that might be, say it's a, you know, a first round pick and a roster player or whatever. Sure. I'm, I'm open to it, but I, I don't really? think that offer has been out there. I don't think it's going to be out there now. So I don't think it's out there, but what a good does a pick do to the Bruins right now? Like, uh... well, because then you have a first round pick to go spend on a top six upgrade or top four defense. Oh, true. I guess that guess where the value comes is that you, t- you flip it. Right. I mean, exactly. I know to be clear, like I'm not, I'm not selling. I'm not interested in right. you know, accumulating picks to hold on to them. No. I would it, take picks to turn around and go make another trade. Yeah. It, it, and you know, I'm sure people listening will be like, "Oh, Edmonton's a goaltender away." So, so great. Well, and, and it's but it's like, why would you like? Why give them like what one of your strengths? Like, I Edmonton's probably just riding it out with Stuart Skinner yeah. anyway. It's like he's yeah. he's been better the last couple of months. Wednesday notwithstanding because i thought he was he was rough against the bruins but um yeah that for for better or worse they're probably just riding with him and they also have lost like three games in the last like two calendar months so it's it's i think that that narrative was was blown up the other day after the bruins game with them um but i mean i'm I'm, we are all like again unless we were blown away like i I, i'm not none of us are interested in in uh in the goalie trade talk I, i guess I was more curious, Scott and Bridget, about um, your feelings on Swayman and Allmark's usage going forward. Um, you think it should be still be like more or less 50-50? Um, do you think like, like uh, now that we're approaching March, where has somebody ran away with number one or um, status quo? Do you think? I'd say status quo. I know that's sometimes I give the unsexy answers, but no goalie trade. Uh, keep the rotation. I, I'm going to be boring here, but th- that's my honest opinion that that is, I, I don't see any reason to panic. I know like, I didn't even particularly think that they had terrible games, Scott. Like they had some, like some lapses, some goals that they wouldn't normally give in, but we're also comparing them to like their, their potential, which is 
the highest potential in the league, really, both both of them. So um, they're up there with the best. So I, I'm not I'm not worried about it. I'm not trading either of them. I'm not uh, giving one of them like 70% of the time. I think we're still at a point where splitting relatively close to 50-50 is where I would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine still keeping the rotation in place for now. I've said all along, like if one of them pulls away down the stretch and is outperforming the other, then I'm fine with riding that goalie. I'd be fine with riding that goalie in the playoffs. Um, but if if you rotate them and they both get back on their game and are playing at a high level come playoffs, I still like the idea of rotating the playoffs. Like I, All I want to do in the playoffs is whatever has been working for you, continue that. So if if Elmark struggles down the stretch and Swayman's playing great, then ride Swayman. Then he's my guy. But if if I'm rotating down the stretch and they're both playing well, then keep it going in the playoffs this time. Don't don't do what you did last year. Don't try to ride Elmark for an entire series when I, I, he didn't start five games in a or he might have once in like November, but like he went five months without starting five games in a row, and now you try it in the playoffs and it throws everything off and like. Never didn't like that at the time last year. Didn't like it in retrospect. Wouldn't like it if they did it this year. Yeah, I think you just gotta. You you just you can't really have a definitive answer on this uh, uh, question if you're the Bruins until, as you mentioned, Scott, down the stretch. Like, see how they're both playing in the back half of um, March into April, and if 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 somebody's letting in a couple of leaky goals, I I, I don't think that the the goalie platoon should be on the table. But if they're both playing lights out, then sure, go for it. So it's going to come down to the, the, the goaltenders, honestly. And and do, the, do they both give us the confidence or the Bruins the confidence, I should say, to, to, to rotate them in the playoffs? Um, so uh, any final uh, discussions? Maybe a couple who's up, who's down, or uh, anything else we didn't get to? I feel like we kind of mostly covered who's up, who's down. I, I don't know, unless you guys had anyone else. that, that what, do you want to feed around it? <laughs> Um, I think that, yeah, like we mentioned Laura way up, right? Um, Scott, you mentioned Geeky down. Um, I think Boquist up. I think Brazo literally was called up, uh, and has stayed up and, and, uh, so yeah. And then you'd say goalies might be down a little bit. I think, yeah, I think Boquist isn't up, uh, that we didn't really talk about that much, but I think he keeps getting more and more opportunities. I mean, he's been playing in overtime. He got a chance at the shootout. Granted, it went nine rounds, so you had to start sending some other people, but... Um, Marsh ends it up just for continuing to play well, plus his thousandth game, and um, in, in that thousandth game, uh, extending the shootout. Uh, I think McAvoy, again, a constant up for the most part, but I think the last, you know, the Bruins were in a bit of a tough stretch uh, in the win-loss column and you know, he gets the game-winning goal in the shootout against Dallas he gets a game-winning goal in overtime against Edmonton again like just play, playing strong hockey and, and um, so just being a leader and helping catapult the Bruins into feeling better about themselves uh, in the win-loss column by the way I, I didn't I, get to say this earlier but Laura also rang the post in overtime against Calgary and that would have ended the game and then like immediately the other way comes Nazem Kadri and scores it was like one of those letdown feelings where it was like oh we were so close well, like three times and Laura almost ended it and it was almost you know the full points for for Boston through the the first two games yeah they had several great chances to end it McAvoy had a two-on-one where he got denied 
Then he like seconds later, he set up Bogue Fist for a one timer saved. Laura hitting the post you just mentioned. And then we haven't talked about this, but I'm, I am curious what you guys think that the two on O right before Kadri's winner, where Pasternak um, decides to take the shot himself instead of passing to McAvoy and clearly is trying to beat Markstrom five hole. Slow mo replay looks like it was open for a split second, but Markstrom closes it. But um, I know, you know, I saw a little bit of criticism of that online that, that he should have passed it. I don't know if personally I'm going to trust the, the 60 goal score and what he sees, but I don't know if uh, you guys had had any issue with that. No, well, it's it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, right? Because if Pashnak scores that goal, it's it, nobody's saying anything. Uh, I think that play in particular, it's a, it, it it was more or less a two, it was two on zero. It was two on zero. Yeah, like Kadri was just about getting back to like maybe take away the pass, but, but... It, he wouldn't have. It was it was a two on zero. So I think, but be, between their the two of their skill sets, Pashnak and McAvoy, I think that that backdoor pass is executed and finished nine and a half out of 10 times, if not 10 out of 10 times. Um, that said, putting the puck on that is never a bad, is never a bad play. I think this is like the one circumstance where it's like, it's even questionable. But what I can say is if Pashnak does not shoot that puck and he tries to pass it to McAvoy and for some reason it gets into McAvoy's skates or Markstrom poke checks it or whatever happens and there's no shot on goal in that situation, the criticism would be a hundred times bigger online and, and offline and than than it was. So um yeah, it, it's, I, I it's did, a whatever I play. Did, yeah, I, I thought it was pro- kind of a toss up what he should do. And then obviously when you it's probably in his own mind was was going back and forth a hundred miles an hour. Do I pass do I shoot? Do I pass do I shoot? And it kind of almost ended up being like a pass off pads. If you look at it, it almost worked out where it like popped back out to back on the opposite side. But like, but the problem is when you get it off pads and there's a rebound like that, it's also really easy for Calgary to turn it right up ice for a three on one. Yes. And, and we've talked about overtime situations where you turn it. I think you're muted. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, um, and, but the irony is that Kadri scored by shooting the puck, right? So it's like, right. on the one hand, you came like, oh, pasta, pass it. Uh, I, I know it's a 2 on 0 and McAvoy was backed over. It's like, then, then Kadri goes down and does the exact same play, but finishes. So it's, it's it, you know, it's never a bad idea to shoot the puck. So, and yes, yeah, Scott, he's the best goal scorer in the world, not named Austin Matthews, which by the way, non-Bruins take, but I mean, he's on pace for 70 plus goals. Six hat tricks this year. He had, it's preposterous. So David, absolutely nuts. David Pashnak, I think, has six career hat tricks, I think. No, and he he has more than that. Does he? he? I think he's in double digits. Well, we we can confirm that. But Austin Matthews has six hat tricks this year alone, and they still have like thirty games to go. That's insane. First Absolutely round exit? Insane. No, yes, no. <laughs> think he scored one in the playoffs? They still don't have. I mean, their defense still sucks, and their goaltending is iffy. But they can score. They can definitely yeah. score. Yeah, he can score. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny. Like we, when we talk about uh, even just, we, we, it comes up in conversation over the past few weeks or the whole season, really. Like when we're talking about teams that the Bruins are are going to have to like add trade deadline pieces in order to, to go up against, like we're, we tend to be talking about like Florida. We never really even bring up Toronto. Really I know. I'm, I'm still not all that worried about Toronto to be completely honest, but 
that let's obviously they have the offensive firepower. I just think they have the same issues. They almost always have defense depth. Still don't trust the goaltending. Um, by the way, Pasternak has 18 career hat tricks. What? Yeah. <laughs> A little more than six. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Um, Google says 16. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I was, I, I, I misheard what somebody said earlier. I also thought that six was way too low for him. Um, is it 16 or 18, Scott? Why is it saying 16? On uh, so I, th- I think 16 is regular season plus two in the playoffs. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's going to be, that's going to be somewhere on the all time list, right? He's got to be a top. It's well, 10. I know it's, I know it's second on the Bruins list. Only Cam Neely has more. Wow. 18 hat tricks. That's unbelievable. Um, by the way, on Matthews with on pace with 70 goals, there hasn't been a 70-goal season in the NHL since 92-93. Um, Timu Solani and Alex McGilney both did it that year. And Brian and I were not born yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> a couple months away. Um, other other non-Bruins news. Uh, Scott, you mentioned the, the Carolina-Florida Panthers game last night. Uh, Matthew Kachuk appeared to be injured in that game. I don't know if it's long-term or short-term, but that has implications on the Eastern Conference if, if he's out long-term. For sure. And, and Gustav Forsling too left that game and didn't return. So two, two pretty big ones for Florida. Kachuk, I don't know if they've said it kind of looked like it might be a concussion to me. Like he did took a shoulder to the to the face head area. So uh we'll see. But yeah, you know, we talk about the Bruins injury bug biting Florida too, biting other teams. Tampa obviously is trying to find a way to replace Mikhail Sergachev who's done for the year, which is why they've now popped up as a potential front runner for Noah Hannafin, which is, you know, another downs. We say like, we maybe be okay with the Bruins not getting them. It's like, well, Tampa might get them. So, you know, just be aware of that. Um, I don't know if, if you guys had anything else on that, but one thing I did want to, we don't have to put the ups and down graphics back, but, I think we may have like danced around this. Um, Derek Forbert has been down very consistently. Hey, recently. There we go. We got to it. <laughs> it was I do want to point out that he played well on Thursday. Him and Kevin Shattenkirk both played well against Calgary. So but is he up it, or down? Like in your mind, he's, he's, he's still down overall, but that wasn't, that was an up game. That was a step in the right direction. Got to see if it continues, but um when, th- when those two were on the ice, the Bruins uh, out-attempted Calgary 5 nothing. So, you know, hey, bra- bravo. We talk about third pairing not being good enough and all that. And on the whole, that's fair. But we also have to give give credit where they actually do have a good game. And I thought they were solid on Thursday. But we'll see where you stand on Sunday Skate this weekend, if you'll agree with Razor this time. Well, you'll notice I'm not tweeting out my support of, of no, forward, so. yeah. I kind of just sit there. I sat there last Sunday and just let those two argue about it. Um, <laughs> I didn't get involved. I was like, "You guys got this." Uh, one very high praise. One coming out with his analytics about why Derek Forbert is trash, but <laughs> you don't need. You didn't need analytics. Like you just need to watch the game and see all the mistakes he was making. Oh God! Uh, also, Pashnak appears to be thirty um, seventh in league history uh, with hat tricks. I think, according to NHL.com, which is interesting because unless my eyes are missing it, 
this same list I'm looking at, I don't even see Austin Matthews' name, which cannot be right. He has to have at least the same amount of Patrick's as Pashnak or not or close. Is that, is that a, is an article from? Oh, wow. Wait, Matthews has 13 career hat tricks. Wow. As of five days ago. So half of them are, have been this year. Okay. Well, there you go. Interesting. Very good. David Pashnak, 37th uh, on the all-time hat tricks list, and he's 10 years into his career and probably close to 10 to go. So he's we got a good one in Boston. All right. Uh, any final comments, guys, before we go? Nope. All good. All right. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.